Hey there, welcome back in to Talking Catholic with David O'Gray. I am David O'Gray, and we are talking Catholic about how the Catholic Church, um, their response to the COVID-19 pandemic and how this pandemic has disproportionately affected the people on the margins. In this country in particular, Black Americans and Hispanics. And we'll, um, I'll be talking with Carrie Dabney, who is a Catholic theologian about all this. And we will begin right after this eight-second introduction to Talking Catholic which eight seconds is just enough time for you to click like, subscribe, and share. I'll see you soon. All right, welcome in to Talking Catholic, Carrie. Hey, how you doing? I'm good, man. Hey, it's been about four years since we last did a podcast, and last time um, you were on, we were talking about your conversion from Jehovah's uh, Witnesses, Witnessism. Um, but a lot has happened since then. Um, oh, by the way, um, for our listeners, if you want to hear Carrie's um, Catholic conversion story, he recently recorded one with Marcus Grodi on EWTN's Journey Home. So you can listen um, to that one. You can also listen to the one we did on My Catholic 2 back in 2016 as well. Um, just type Carrie Dabney, that's C-A-R-Y-D-A-B-N-E-Y, into your YouTube browser. Um, and all his conversion stories come. I know he's doing a little something on his YouTube now as well. So he has a lot of videos on YouTube. Just type his name in there and they're all come up. But yeah, since that time, um, Carrie, you graduated from Harvard Divinity School um, with a master's in divinity. Uh, you become, I know, a PhD, PhD candidate at Duquesne University. You're teaching theology at Walsh University and Xavier University. I know you're um, doing a, a summer program there in Louisiana. That's cool. Um, which is a historically black Catholic university. I think the only one in the country, so that's awesome. Um, you're the director of the Office of Ministry to African-American Catholics in the Diocese of Cleveland. And I know you're devoted um, husband and father, man. What's going on? Is that about it? That's about it. That's about all I can fit in my plate, uh, especially right now being the stay-at-home order. I'm also vice president and vice principal of Dabney Elementary because all the kids are at home now uh, and we're doing homeschooling. So uh, oh, that's wow. about all I can fit in my plate right now. <laughs> <laughs> what, what, um, what topics are you looking, are um, your PhD um, studies focused on right now? Um, big umbrella. Um, I've always been one who's been interested in theological ethics, uh, moral theology. But when you're studying African-American uh, ethics or the traditions within our um, community, it's harder to, to just say theological ethics because so much of our ethics and so much of our, the lens through which we see the world also includes political issues. Um, because in America, the conditions in which we live and, and our history is part of how we form what we should do and what we ought not to do. So my, my, my net is very, very wide. Um, you could probably include ethics, political theory, straight up history, um, and, and systematic theology, all kind of bunched into one, um, because it's hard to divide out in our demographic, um, yeah. one part of the social sciences from another. Yeah, are you, um, does your PhD, does your dissertation have a topic, yet, has, has, a, has a title yet? It does not have a, well... I have I had a title, um, but as you oftentimes when you're writing a dissertation, you you start to float um, where the information takes you because you start off with one assertion that you want to make, 
but then you find out as you're doing your research, uh, your assertions are wrong, right? So, <laughs> so you find yourself kind of shifting, or you also find out, you know, dissertation is supposed to be an original contribution. Well, the, the further, I mean, we've been, you know, theology, Christian theology, genuine Christian theology is 2,000 years old. So there's been a lot of writing on it, right? So you start writing something which you think is an original contribution, and then you're like, oh, somebody else has written on this. So you, so you have to kind of critique it a little bit to make it an original contribution, right? Yeah. Um, so all of that, originally my title was Race in the Catholic Imagination. Okay. Um, but I've went more towards um, a specific systematic theology, a genuine Catholic theology that both appreciates the contributions that African Americans have made to the tradition, therefore it's rooted in our experience, but also Catholic at the same time. Um, so that's, that's been an interesting development as I've tried to do the research. Because yeah. there's some things that are tough to reconcile, to be honest with you, uh, from our experience with the church in America Right. And the actual church's tradition, right? So some of the those are some of the things that um I'm ironing out. Yeah, do you have a, a time frame yet? I would like to be done fall of twenty twenty one. That is my that is my goal. Yeah, um it would be sooner if I didn't have so many other <laughs> but because I have so many other logs in the fire, I have to be realistic. Um and so twenty fall of twenty twenty one is my is my goal. Yeah. Now, now, speaking along those same lines, you and I, we, we chatted the other day, and I thought, um, you know, I know what you're looking in for your, your PhD goes, and it looks like there's an interesting segue here that's going on right now. Um, I know you've been looking into writing a new essay and looking to how the coronavirus has had this disproportionately affected African Americans. Talk a little bit about that. Well, the reason why that's come up is, uh, and this is why I say I got so many logs in the fire, when you are... I'm currently working as a director of an office of African-American Catholics with the Diocese of Cleveland. I find myself um, part of both regional and national groups of other Catholic administrators, right? And so we have these conversations about what's happening in our diocese and what's happening in our communities. And interestingly enough, prior to it actually being officially released by the news media and the social media, we were talking about how it seems that there's a significant number of cases of COVID-19 that are happening in our communities. Several weeks after that, you, you begin to see in the media these statistics, um, very disturbing statistics of even though we're not the majority of the population of many of these areas, we are the majority of the fatalities or the majority of the cases that are being reported. So that just, um, again, that squirrel moment where I saw something I felt just had to be addressed, um, and being one of the few aspiring Catholic theologians that's out there, I felt, you know what, we need to add a theological voice to that. So I began doing research um, in that area, um, quite frankly, because the church, up until yesterday, so I, I have to repent, uh, up until <laughs> yesterday, the church hadn't made an official statement about those statistics. So I felt... Um, that I wanted to contribute to that. Yeah. To that. Let's point. let's dig into those statistics for for a moment. How because you they're disproportionately affected. I think a lot of people have heard that on the news. But I know you had some examples in particular with um I think Illinois and Wisconsin and, and some other states. What what are the actual numbers 
sane right now. So, for example, in the state of Illinois, the state of Illinois, I believe the African-American population is, um, and I don't have the numbers right in front of me, but I believe the African-American population is 16% of the population, but they range to nearly 42% of the fatalities. Um, This is also the case in a lot of the major metropolitan areas where there are a large number of African-Americans. For example, in New Orleans. In New Orleans, African-Americans make up 35% of the population, but there's nearly 60% of the fatalities um, and over 50% of the cases. Chicago, same thing. Chicago, African-American population is 30% of the city, yet they are 70% of the cases. So, And I, and, and I know even some like smaller areas, I know you brought up West, Wisconsin. I know we were talking about that. Right. You said that. Six, they, um, black Americans are 6% of the population right. there, but nearly 40% of the COVID-19 fatalities. Absolutely. That's, wow. What are, what, are, what are some just like basic reasons why blacks are just deport, disproportionately affected of a virus that's affected um, most of the world? Well, first of all, um, the COVID-19 is the most recent, um, we'll say, because it's in the news, the attention is being given of the disproportionate cases in communities of color, predominantly African-American communities. But this isn't anything new. This, is, this has been an issue, a healthcare issue that has been in place, quite frankly, for a very long time. And as far as the reasons for that, you, I kind of say there's, there's two branches of reasons for that. You have acute reasons and you have structural reasons. Okay. okay. A lot of the structural reasons leads to the acute reasons. Um, Structurally, quite simply, if you look in the history of our nation, um, since the Reconstruction era, quite frankly, you've had policies and laws that have been put in place to preserve the privilege of one race over another. Okay. 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 and so, and by, 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 let me back up for some of our listeners. By Reconstruction, Carrie means like after after slavery, there was a program put in place. The Freedmen's Bureau and some other agencies was put in place um, for a transition from blacks out of slavery, and it all really fell apart not long after it was, it was put together. Correct. And so, on the other end of it, yes, we have made some strides. Um, with the civil rights movement and things of that nature. But predominantly, for the most part, what you still see across the nation is inadequate housing for African-American community, right? So they're in places or in housing situations that tend to have environmental issues, all right, which contribute to some of the, um, for example, um, you look at Flint, for example. That's my home. That's my home city, Flint. With the issue with the lead, with the water, in, in the lead in the water, right? Obviously, you're talking all this amount of time they have been trying to work around the um, substandard water. Obviously, that's going to give some long-term effects to the health in those communities, correct? Right, right, um, right. But there was never enough money to get it fixed, even though with the stimulus package, we automatically came up with trillions of dollars. I'm not going to go on there. That's a whole other podcast. But the point is, all right, that's an example of... Uh, inadequate housing and inadequate environment. Um, in addition to that, in most African-American um, communities, you have no real food sources for healthy food. You nope. have food deserts out there, right? Mm-hmm. But we have Popeye's chicken on every corner. So it's yeah. going to create 
um, these what I call structural issues that lead to health issues. Okay. Structural issue, for example, I'm part of in Ohio. I was asked to be part of the Minority Health Strike Force, um, which is going to look into these issues. Okay. However, right across the hall, figuratively speaking, because we, you know, quarantine, but right across the hall, <laughs> there's a committee for economic recovery. Okay. Part of the issue is why do we have two separate committees for this, right? I mean, the how do I put it? The wealth of a nation is its people. So if the people are unhealthy, guess what? The economy is going to be unhealthy. So for years, we've separated these issues. Um, in the separation of these issues, of the healthcare and economy, and separated them has been some of the root cause for these structural reasons why things like COVID-19 affect communities of color worse. Yeah, you gotta, yeah, that's a brilliant point. Yeah. Yeah, and then I just want to bring up the, the acute <clears throat> reasons. What I say are more close to home reasons is quite simply because of the structural issues. Now you have, for example, the essential workers that we celebrate, um, with the exception of the doctors and the nurses, what I call the high end, the high income end of the essential workers. If you look at the other essential workers during this time, the store clerks. Um, those in the hospital who are cleaning the rooms, the housekeeping service in the hospitals, um, those who work in public transportation. What community do, do these essential workers come from? Yeah. They come from communities of color, right? And so obviously they're being <coughs> to it more often, but not getting paid the same amount of money that the higher end essential workers are. Um, if that exposure is bringing it back to their communities. Um, so there's a there's several different reasons why I think we're seeing a larger amount of cases in the African American community. Right. Now, I was thinking about the fact that I was telling my daughter about this the other day. You know, you always try to teach your kid kids lessons, right? <laughs> and so I, I was talking to her about. I think I think any time you may agree with this, or you may not let me know, but I think any time. Um, climate or socioeconomic disasters happen, I think it always, I think this is what you're talking about with some other issues, that it always disproportionately negatively affects people on the margins. In the United States, people on the margins tend to be um, blacks, Hispanics, um, uh, uh, people who are in poverty, okay? Mm -hmm. um, and I'm saying, of course, not all blacks or Hispanics are in poverty, but we're talking right. about uh, a percentage of, a larger percentage of people in this country. Right. Um, the image of Hurricane Katrina come to mind, I think most particularly when I think about this. I mean, the people, remember the people who had the resources, remember they got out of New Orleans, right? right. But those who did not, where do we see them? We saw them sitting on rooftops. We saw them stuffed in the Superdome. Right. And you look at issues like the influx of drugs in our cities, mass incarceration, 30% of black men, um, uh, the, the abortion genocide, 33 to 50% of black babies, poor performing schools infest inner city schools. Single-parent mm -hmm. homes, I think over 70% of black children are raised by a single parent. All those things, I think black Americans are disproportionately affected by. Um, um, and, and we know where the Catholic social teaching, the social teaching is on all those, those issues. Sometimes we do hear from our leaders who sometimes give lip service, sometimes throw money, sometimes do more about, about those issues. Um, but where, where, where's the, the, the Catholic Church now? I, I know... You've read that document that they put out um, Monday. Where, where is the Catholic teaching that 
as or the, the the leaders at in, in particularly addressing this issue, um, you need you hear. I think most Catholics right now, you know, they hear the church have been churches. You know, public liturgy of the Holy Mass has been suspended, but the, the overwhelming group of people, and I, you know, one reason why they suspended the mass is so that the you know help slow the spread of the disease. But the people who we're talking about, most of those people don't go to mass, right? Yeah. So, so where has the church been, in particular, on a human cost of this pandemic against the people in the margins? I think, first of all, each diocese is is, re is responding um, to the issues in their local areas as best as they, as they can. And I think that one uh, misunderstanding that a lot of people have who are outside of the church is that they see, you know, Pope Francis or they see bishops. Or they have this idea that the Catholic Church, this illusion that the Catholic Church, first of all, is stocked full of money, and they all operate exactly the same, which just is not the case. All right, each diocese is going to respond as best as they can with the resources that they have. Generally speaking, I do think the Catholic Church is is making as best an effort nationally as they can to the local areas. Um, there are some, just like there are parishes who live Sunday to Sunday from the offices. There are dioceses who live that way because they, they don't have as many resources as another diocese. And so one thing I think people forget is we think, well, we're just not going to mass. But you got to understand, if we're not going to mass, offerings are not being collected. Right. So right. offerings are being cut, which is through the people. It's actually through the offerings of the people that we're able to maintain a lot of programs. So, so it's not a... I want to say that it's not a just a, a non-response to some of the issues. There may actually may be a lack of resources in some dioceses. Okay. At the same time, um, just as each diocese responds as best as they can, each leader, each bishop in the diocese has his own lens through which um, he sees priority or how he stacks priority in responding to social issues. Um, I'm not, for sake of keeping confidential, I'm not going to say his name, but there's a bishop who said to me one time that he experiences every time they go to the bishop's conference, the only thing all the bishops can agree on is that Jesus came, that he died and raised on the third day. That, that's, that's about all they can agree on, okay? <laughs> Everything else is, you know, wow. they, 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 you know, they, they have conversations, right? <clears throat> and so, um, up until yesterday, there was not really a response specifically to the statistics of what's occurring in the African American communities. However, yesterday there was a statement um, released by the U.S. Bishops Conference, specifically um, many of the bishops who are chairmen of, for example, uh, Bishop Fob, who's the chair of the Ad Hoc Committee Against Racism. Um, Archbishop Nelson Perez, who is the chair of the Cultural Diversity um, Committee. The, uh, um, Auxiliary Bishop uh, Perry, who is the chair of African American Affairs. They actually drafted a statement identifying and acknowledging that there is a, a disproportionate amount of cases found in the African American communities, and they're urging both um, state and government leaders to address the issue address the, the, both the structural and acute conditions that are, are happening in the in the communities um, to address this issue. So I was pleased to see a recognition and statement, because quite frankly, in our history, that has not always been right. the case. Um, right. 
so, so, so to see them move forward on that is, it's almost like a, uh, I, I want to say like a uh, attention getter for um, local dioceses to pay attention to those communities. Now, obviously the churches, the, tur- the church's teaching on pro-life covers all these issues that we've, that we've talked about, right? Okay. Um, at the end of the day, quite frankly, as a lay minister myself, I feel it's each of our responsibilities, not just our leaders, but each of our responsibilities to react to what we're seeing in our communities and as best we can to ensure the sanctity of all life. Um, nice. Obviously from, with a preferential to the most vulnerable. Um, and in this, in this topic, that most vulnerable are communities of color mm. because of lack of res- lack of access to health care. And I didn't mention this before, um, but also, quite frankly, because of the unclear language when the outbreak began, mm-hmm. you know, is it a hoax? Is it not a hoax? Is it, you know, what do we wear a mask? Do we not wear a mask? I mean, there was no real clear in the beginning of what we were supposed to do with this. Yeah. So if you got unclear language going into a community that already is suspect, um, it's bullshit, okay. Yeah. <laughs> it's it's going to take um, those of us on the ground to uh, assist. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's a good point. It's hard to say the world has never seen anything like this because it has, but these things don't come around so often that we know how to respond to these things. But we definitely, and I want to talk to you about that in re- in regards to the government. I, th- I think we have to do moving forward. If, if another one comes along, at least we know how to do better. We should be doing better. Um, mm-hmm. Clear messaging from the beginning. Um, science is always changing, but um, relying on, you know, aspects of it that we know are certain, you know, but moving forward also with the church, I mean, what, what, what do you think, um, what are some lessons learned from this whole thing? Well, I think one thing, is I'll say I was I, when I say disappointed. It's not an individual. I think all of us, as Catholics, regardless of what side of the aisle you sit on politically, mm-hmm. I think that we allowed ourselves to become, for lack of a better term, bipartisan even within the church, like the political community. Right. So we got so I think we a lot of us got so pulled into the rhetoric for the political rhetoric. Okay. And being so committed to one side or the other that we started to actually see divisions in the church, um, which caused us as a church to not be able to re- react in solidarity as we normally would to such a global. Uh, yeah. do, do you see what I'm saying? Uh, yeah, we're the saying. one institution on this planet that should be crossing borders. And we've allowed ourselves with all this, and I, no pun was intended when, I'm, when I said borders, but we've allowed all this divisive talk, particularly here in America, to cause ourselves to look inward as opposed to kind of lose that universal flavor uh, that I think is what the appeal is of the Catholic Church, right? Yeah. Yeah. We kind of, we, I think we lost that. And so I think this is an opportunity for us to um, regather it recapture it and, and and move forward and be sensitive and remember that we don't want to repeat. We want to repeat that. It's okay, obviously, to have your own political leanings. Right. But we have to be able to also separate. There is a distinction between the state and the church, right? And so right. Right. As, as Christians, our number one vocation, our number one party right. is 
Christianity and, right. and, and living the life of Christ. Um, and he's given us the power with that with the Holy Spirit. So that's probably the big thing I think we can all, I, Bishop to the, the, to the person sitting in the pew, we can all take that um, and, and really try to recapture the heart of Jesus in this, in this situation. Yeah, I think that's a beautiful point because you, you were speaking about that earlier and bridging those things together now. You were talking about the, the economic response versus the, the, the economic cost and the human cost and how in the political sphere these are they're, they're two different things. But in, in Catholic theology, these things are two different things. It's, it's, it's one. It's, it's, a, it's um, what, what a person is justice. I mean, I think that, that concept, that, that teaching in the church really encompasses everything. What, is a, what does a person do? And what they do it addresses their whole person, and so yeah, I think I think the Catholic Church, like everything, we've had the answers, <laughs> right. right? And I think yeah, like I said, we I think we have to do a better job as well, right? Yeah, I mean the danger of this, and this is this is the extreme. So some people, you know, Carrie's pulling a straw man, but the dangerous of the danger of this of separating things like economy from human life. Or human health is during the times of slavery, during slavery institution. Yeah. What was the South's reason for keeping the slavery institution? Because it, it was essential service. Right. <laughs> it, it kept our economy going. Right. That's what they would say. We can't get rid of slaves. They're important for the economy. So they were so focused on the economy that they overshot human life and pro-life. Yeah. And we yeah. may think, oh, we passed all that. Well. Are we, though, if we're separating these issues, concentrating on one while not paying attention to the expense of one over the other? That's right. why I say I, I, I genuinely believe that Catholic social teaching, if we focus on it and remember that this isn't just a, a teaching that is equal to any other ethical teaching. This is teaching coming from the source of love that brought the universe into existence. Mm -hmm. We remember that. And it was embodied person in, in the person of Jesus Christ, whom we say by taking the name Christians that we are part of, if we concentrate on that and keep that focus, I think it'll keep the divisions from being, with, at least within our own Catholic and Christian communities, um, which I think can really, um, to use a Bishop Barron expression, Christify the world. Mm -hmm. uh, so that, that's, that's where I think we can probably focus. Yeah, that sounds like a good focus. Well, thanks for coming on to Talking Catholic, Carrie. we got to have you back more often, man. Hey, I, miss yeah, you. I, I ain't going nowhere. So All right. <laughs> <laughs> All right, we'll talk again soon. Thanks again. All right, brother, thanks.